This WQED Education podcast is made possible by the Ready to Learn Initiative, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and listeners like you. Thank you. My name is Jen Ford, and welcome to the Wonderful World of Work podcast. Once upon a time when I was a child, I wanted to be an author. An author is a person who writes books, stories, poems, and more. They can write picture books for children, chapter books for teens or adults, or books on many different topics that help us to learn. Can you think of an author whose books you enjoy? This episode's special guest is Lisa Donovan, author of Birds in My Backyard and her upcoming book, Birds at the Beach and Beyond. Lisa is here to share with us her experiences as a published author. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Lisa, tell me about your career as an author. What drew you to this career? Well, my mother was a newspaper writer, and she eventually became director of communications for an organization. And I always loved her and admired her career. And I knew in college that my life's work would require me to speak and write well. So I majored in communications as an undergrad and then earned a master's degree in professional writing at Carnegie Mellon University. So my first jobs involved media relations, public relations, event planning, marketing, training, and so on. And eventually I was a consultant in these areas. And always my work involved writing and editing. And then I was a mom and I spent many years volunteering for numerous organizations while raising my girls. And during this time, I was also involved in tutoring and mentoring students, as well as teaching an interpersonal communications public speaking course that I had designed for kids. Almost always, I was writing as an assignment for someone else. Articles, speeches, flyers, commercial scripts, business letters, annual reports, press releases, so on and so on. Not necessarily subject matter that held a personal interest for me, and nothing like a short story or a novel. Uh, I would write essays sometimes or poems uh, on occasion for family and friends, but that's it. But whatever I wrote needed to please my boss or client or fellow volunteers. I needed their feedback to make sure I was doing the job that they wanted me to do. But I kept a running list of writing ideas that interested me. And one of those was a children's story that centered around Thanksgiving. Another involved a few verses about birds that I frequently saw outside my kitchen window. And those personal writing projects led me to approach a small publisher in Pittsburgh. So it was quite a journey then to get from your early career to where you are now as a published author. Wow, lots of different things, but everything kind of centered back to writing. That's amazing. Um, I heard you mention feedback. How is accepting feedback an important aspect of your job? Well, what I've been taught and in my experience, I've learned that being a good writer requires understanding your target audience, editing, and using test audiences or readers and getting their feedback. This means double-checking that content is clear, grammatically correct, and communicates what you intend in a way that your target audience really understands. Rarely, 
in fact, almost never is the first draft of what you put on a page, the final version. It's just the beginning of what will be the best version of what you're writing. So feedback is crucial. You might think that you are communicating the cleverest idea in the world, and you give it to a test reader, or you try it out on a friend, and you find out that no one really gets what you're saying. But you need to persevere, go back to the drawing board. And without that feedback, you really don't know how effective your work is. So feedback can help us to learn, to grow, to expand. And it's not the negative thing that it sounds like it is. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own ideas that that feedback can almost feel hurtful. Like they don't like what I'm doing. But that's not exactly what feedback is. Can you share with us a time that you maybe struggled with accepting feedback? Maybe it was a little hard to hear. And what did you do to overcome this? Well, frankly, I can think of many times that I received feedback that might not have been easy to hear in school or in business. But I will give you a more recent example. When I approached that publisher in Pittsburgh, I pitched a children's book that I had written about a family's Thanksgiving gathering. And in this story, the older children were deep into their cell phones and the youngest was appreciating time with grandpa sitting by the fireplace. So I sent this manuscript to a friend who had published quite a few books. She thought that iPads should have been the focus of the older kids and this would have drastically changed the content of the story. I sent it to some family members, I sent it to some friends, some really liked it, some didn't respond as strongly. The Pittsburgh publishers read the manuscript and it didn't knock their socks off. Plus, they figured that a Thanksgiving story would have a limited window for yearly sales. So I felt defeated and a little embarrassed. Then the publishers asked if I had another idea. And I showed them the verses I had written about the birds outside my kitchen window. And this text was whimsical, humorous, and short. And this they liked. So they asked me to write some more verses and come back with a complete manuscript. And this ultimately became the book Birds in My Backyard, which was published in 2019 and written for babies up to seven-year-olds. And just this February, I published Birds at the Beach and Beyond, which was written for the same age group. So as difficult as it is to hear that our original creation is not appreciated by all, feedback can really improve writing and set us on another, maybe more valuable path. And always, I think it provides an opportunity to learn more. If the door is closed, open a window. And in business, in school, no matter what, your writing has to please your teacher or your boss or your client. Their feedback really counts. So feedback carried you from one idea about Thanksgiving to a totally different idea about the birds in your backyard, the birds at the beach, very different avenues. But because you were able to take that feedback, accept it, and see it as a chance to grow and to, to stretch yourself, um, you now publish two books, which is just simply amazing. All right, so our last question for today, what advice do you have for anyone who wants to become an author? So my advice to budding authors is to read and read and read some more 
absorb how the writers that you like tell their stories and what their stories are, and pay attention to what appeals to you in these books or essays or poems. Next, listen and look. Pay attention to what is around you. What is being said? How is it being said? What do you see? What have you experienced in life that would make a good story or deserves to be explored on a page? There is a world of ideas all around us that might light a fire to write. I think real life is endlessly interesting and every person is a potential walking story. And finally, of course, write whatever you like. Dump it out on a page and take a few days before you look at it again and make changes, add to it. And when you feel brave enough, have someone read it and get their feedback and change it or don't change it if it's just for you. It's yours, unless, of course, you're writing for a teacher or a client, but just keep writing. And in this age of self-publishing, research how you might get something published, maybe beginning with Amazon, or maybe your work is something to share with certain people like family or friends, a writing club. Something does not have to be published to be special. And I should add, by the way, I have not given up on that Thanksgiving story. I take it out every now and again and make a few changes and think about other avenues to publish it. So you're persevering on that idea, even though you didn't get the feedback you wanted. That's amazing. That just shows how strong you are and how passionate you are in the things that you're creating. And that passion has led you to where you are today. Thank you, Jen. I think I think it has passion plus a lot of people in my life who are very supportive of this work. And a lot of hard work too. It is. It, it took, you know, just for this last book, off and on two years. And I had roughly five to seven subject matter experts, an ornithologist at the aviary. I have biologists that I know in South Carolina, Department of Natural Resources contacts in Charleston and Louisiana. It, it's, it's a host of people who are kind enough to look at text and make sure that it's accurate. And then uh, I'm still a dear friend with one of my professors at Carnegie Mellon, who's kind enough to, I think she read it three times over the course of a year. It's, it's amazing how what might look to be a small project, a children's book, picture book project, the, the time it deserves is quite a bit. And you can only look at it for so long, then you have to put it down and, and look at it again with fresh eyes. It's amazing what you see after that. I think all the connections that you've made um, throughout this process of publishing your books is, is just a true testament to, to the amount of work that goes into writing and also just the amount of, of, of how much you require that feedback from everyone, how much you require that input, how much you require um, you know, the information from your, from your ornithologists and all the specialists in those areas just so that you can put out the best product that you possibly can. Um, so I'm sure you're very proud of your work um, and we thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share. I'm Lisa Donovan. Thanks so much for hearing my words about the birds. This episode's growth mindset message is accepting feedback helps me to learn and grow. 
Feedback is meant to be helpful, but sometimes it makes us feel like we have made a mistake or that we can't do anything right. Your Growth Mindset Challenge of the Week is to listen to the feedback that you get from others, parents, teachers, coaches, and friends, and say thank you. Keep an open mind and remind yourself that your grown-ups are here to help and support you, and feedback is a good thing. Hey kids, we hope you enjoyed learning about today's exciting career. Tune in next time to learn about a new job to consider from the wonderful world of work. Parents and caregivers, it's time now to talk to our panel of educators about important soft skills that you can help your child to develop, making both their today and tomorrow brighter. Today's panelists include Leanne Kruger, kindergarten teacher in the Pittsburgh Public School District, Elaine Volpe, head of youth services at the Bethel Park Public Library, and Sarah Valley, a Montessori teacher with a background in early childhood and music education. Let's see what our panelists have to share with us. Our author Lisa and I talked a lot about the importance of being able to accept feedback. How can we help kids to understand that feedback isn't a negative thing? Yeah, so I think the first thing that we can do is just by creating a safe space for children. Um, and something that I find um, that really upsets me um, is when I hear a child kind of putting themselves down. Um, and I think they learn that from adults that they hear, oh, I'm stupid or, oh, I did this. Um, so I always try to gently say, oh, you know, it's just you forgot or, you know, whatever the situation might be. So to actually point out and make it more of a neutral, less charged environment. Um, so I think that's the first way, um, creating a safe space when we do that by modeling for the children. I think that's a great point. You know, kids do hear the self-talk that we give ourselves and they they kind of internalize that. And then they're going to they're going to do that, too, because that's what they're seeing. That's what they're hearing. So being more aware of what we're saying to ourselves, too, is really important in creating that safe space as well. That's a great point. Yeah. And I think there's a way for us to recognize when we've done something wrong, too, without it being self-degrading. Um, and so just helping to break that cycle. Um, the more we catch it ourselves, the more they learn. I was going to say, and to add to that, that um, making sure the feedback that we do give the kids is constructive and that the students and the kids understand that what we're telling them, we're just trying to help them to improve and to to grow and to get better with whatever it is that we're giving them. Yep. And I was just going to say, you know, kids respond well to positive reinforcement. So I think when they do accept feedback well and they do learn from feedback, that we praise them, that we acknowledge it and that we praise it. I think that is important, just recognizing that it is hard to hear maybe something that we didn't want to hear. But then when we see them kind of put that into action, it is important that we praise it just so that they know that we see them working hard and, and really accepting that that input from us. And then even like encouraging them too to give themselves feedback, right? So if you're working on a project together or you're reading over a paper, you know, asking them, well, how do you think th this is going to turn out? Or is this how you hoped it to turn out? Or what could we do here, Right. Or how can we take this project from good to awesome, right? And encourage them to give themselves feedback and to ask themselves those same questions. Yeah, um, that's. I was like going to touch on that too, Elaine, um, because one of the beautiful things with Montessori is for children to gain that confidence through themselves. So we just facilitate that, and by um, we do that by pointing out kind of 
observations as opposed to actual, um, I guess, judgments or opinions on something. So one of the examples I always give um, is of a child. So I'm typically working with toddlers who don't necessarily have words. So I do have to give them a little bit of words um, to get there. But so something I um, have taken into account is if a child brings a picture and they use like a red and a green color, I'll always point out, oh, I really like how you use this red crayon over here and this green right here and how it came together. Um, So, and that leaves it to be more objective as opposed to, oh, this is beautiful or this is pretty. I want the child to be able to say that themselves and that they're proud of like what they've created and how they've created it. Um, And so for like an older child, it would be more of like, well, what, tell me a little bit more about this. Like, what did you draw? Um, What um, were you thinking about when you drew this kind of a thing? So kind of that feedback can can give way to a conversation and we want to try to foster those conversations whenever possible. When we talk about careers, um, we talk about hard skills and soft skills. So hard skills are more of, um, you know, if you're a plumber that you actually know how to, um, you know, fix a toilet, that would be a hard skill. You would need to know how to do that. A soft skill would be more of, um, you know, problem solving. What kinds, what kind of process did the plumber go through to get to that point? So we talk about hard skills and soft skills. Um, what are some soft skills that you think an author would need, especially as they're faced with feedback from editors and others? Yeah, I think um, kind of what we were just talking about um, with regards to having that confidence. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons I ever learned was to not take things personally, that even though it was my work and my material, that it wasn't an attack on my person. So the more that we can ingrain that into children so that they can have a better sense of their selves and know that they, it's not less if there is some sort of criticism. It's not thinking less of them, um, but it is just a way to make something better um, and to understand the difference between constructive criticism and opinion and that it's not a personal attack if there's a difference in opinion. And I also, to add to that, I would say the, the work ethic. So understanding that it's constructive feedback or maybe it was hard for you to hear, but not giving up, continuing to push through and continuing to, to you know, try to achieve the goal that you've set out to achieve. So having that strong worth work ethic, I think it's important. And I also added creative thinking it's from a writer's perspective, being able to, you know, use your imagination or... Uh, Just think creatively about the things that you're putting down on paper. And I think it's important to add that there's creativity in any anything, any career, no matter how um, logical or sterile it might might seem. You know, there's still creativity to to completing a math problem or to um, to um, writing a a textbook on how to operate a computer. Um, There's creativity there because you're still trying to step outside of yourself for that moment and see things from a different point of view so you can address your audience. So realizing that that there's creativity in all things and that we have to kind of um, work on that too as well. I think resilience and determination are two really big ones, again, in any field, but particularly if we're speaking about authors, right? Um, being in the library world, I've been so fortunate to hear a lot of authors speak. And the one thing that they all have in common is that that, their first manuscript wasn't accepted, right? Their first book wasn't published. And so they couldn't give up. Um, And one author in particular, when I first started in my career, I remember hearing him at a conference 
And, you know, he said how frustrating it was to get rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter. But he ended up taking that frustration and turning it into motivation, right? And I think that's really important if we can teach our kids that. So he would plaster, he would wallpaper his office where he wrote with all these rejection letters. He had them all over the wall, but he refused to give up. So that actually acted as motivation for him. And certainly now he's a very well-known author. We have all of his uh, books here in the library, but it was hard in the beginning and it oftentimes is very hard. Um, So you have to learn to stick with it, work through it, right? And definitely be resilient and determined. I was going to say too, kind of going off of that, um, I feel there are, there is a lot of pressure on young people today um, to, to be perfect and for things to go exactly how they need to go. And there's this big pressure that if it's not perfect, then it's not worthy to be into this world. And that's certainly something that I have struggled with. Um, So I think striving perfection is great, but being okay with it not being completely perfect is okay too. And it's still worth having in this world. I love that. We just read a book to first graders. It's called Howard the Average Gecko, right? And that's the whole lesson behind the book is that it's okay to be okay. You're not going to be number one in everything that you do. And we're not going to be perfect in everything that we do. Like you said, we can strive for it, but it is 100% okay to be just okay. I love that. And that okay is all part of of each individual's journey too. I know, um, you know, we talked about wanting to be perfect. Maybe one day they do get to that level, but there's going to be a whole lot of okay in between there that they have to learn to be okay with and to, to build on and to grow with and to just keep kind of keeping on with so that they can get to that level where they where they kind of feel a little bit more success with themselves and happier in their in their destination, I guess. Yeah. And I was going to say, I think I don't, I didn't mention this in the first question, but something I had thought about too is just the fact that um, part of creating a safe environment is allowing children to make mistakes and for it to be okay. Because in order to grow and in order to learn, you have to make mistakes. Um, and I think that goes hand in hand with that uh, idea of perfectionism. Um, and if you don't ever make a mistake or you don't ever try something, how are you going to know? Um, so it's a great point. And I think we mentioned this earlier in the podcast, too, and I just kind of want to circle back to it, you know, modeling. So when we make a mistake at home as adult, that we make sure that our children are observing our reaction, right? And that it's OK and that we, too, can learn. Absolutely. Not the end of the world. And this is how we grow and this is how we learn just like you said. Definitely modeling is one of those powerful tools in, in all in all aspects of life. And we don't realize how much our children are watching us until we start to see ourselves coming out in them. And hopefully we see the best things of ourselves coming out of them. But every once in a while, we see those things that we don't want them to pick up coming out. You know, it really, um, really shows us just how much they are watching and listening to yeah. us. And I was going to say that's kind of one of the core sure. uh, fundamentals to Montessori and something that I was really drawn to was the fact that it was more about working on yourself and understanding these are, this is how it all relates to each other. And this is how we're passing on to children. Um, And so modeling and being aware of yourself and your interactions with the environment and with the children um, is key to uh, teaching. So kind of springboarding off of that and how things operate in a Montessori classroom um, I'm interested to hear how it how this happens in all of our environments, you know, in a public library, in a kindergarten classroom, in a Montessori classroom. 
how can we um, build these soft skills that we talked about, like creativity and resilience um, in that ability to accept criticism? How can we work on those in our in our different environments with our children? Yeah. So one of the other kind of fundamental aspects of Montessori is observation um, and understanding um, what is happening. Uh, I mentioned this a little earlier just about um, our saying what is happening, like with the picture example um, or the drawing, um, saying what is there and then letting the child bring more of their opinion into it so that they are developing that sense of self. So um, that is one of the greatest things I love about Montessori is that kind of objective nature um, and to try to encourage that sense of self um, and self-reliance and self-confidence. Um, because there are, you see the broad spectrum of children who, you know, are really shy and are afraid to say anything. And then you see the children who are, you know, overly like want to tell you everything that they've done all day, uh, which I'm sure you, everyone has seen before. Um, so it's just, I love that kind of objective neutral. And that doesn't mean that you're not excited with them or you don't show any emotion, just that you're letting it come from them first before you put it onto them. So. I, I went to thinking about uh, when we do sort of writer's workshop in my classroom. And, and part of that is having one-on-one -on -one conferences with the kids as they're working on a piece of writing. So having that individual conversation with them and, and asking them where they think they could improve in their writing. Or if you know, I make some suggestions for them about what they could potentially change or improve as far as that feedback goes. And then them taking ownership of it going back and adding or changing or fixing and then just that sort of continual conversation as they're working on pieces like that um, and they gradually improve it until they're they're ready to share that sort of final piece. And I think we can model and practice mindfulness a lot with children too. So when we're going back to that being determined and not giving right? We all get frustrated when something doesn't go our way. I love taking time to just um, you know, stop and breathe, take some deep breaths or practice a yoga, yoga pause, pose, excuse me. And I've done that, this with all ages. And I really see the effect, the benefits that that has. Like we can just like reset ourselves, right? Reset our mind um, and just take a moment to let that frustration kind of dissolve, right? Let the frustration go away and kind of just reset so that we can get back on track. So I love practicing mindfulness. Again, I do it with all ages and I think it can be a really helpful thing to do wherever you are in the classroom too and in the public library setting and at yeah, home. Absolutely. I think it can be a really useful tool. I think you all are, you all are taking moments with your students and with, with the children that you're working with. Leanne, you're taking a moment to, to have that one-on-one -on -one time with them. Uh, Sarah, you're taking a moment to let them show you what they're thinking and what they're feeling before you put your emotions and, and thoughts into the into the arena. And Elaine, you're teaching them to take a moment too for themselves. So it's all about taking moments, it sounds like. Yeah, I was just going to add to Elaine too, because um, so I mainly deal with children 12 months to 36 months years old. And um it is amazing. I love doing the mindfulness exercises. And that's such a great point to bring up just how even a two-year-old can take some time to go and take some deep breaths. And they might need that a little more facilitated than a six-year-old. 
but it is still such a beautiful thing for them because then you start to see they'll go and they'll do it on their own. Um, you know, we have designated areas for like peace areas and things like that, or yoga in the classroom. Um, and that's just, yeah, it's so beautiful to see them actually integrate that and be able to take that with mm-hmm. them. I'm learning it as an adult, right? I feel like I didn't learn the, be- the full benefits until, you know, just recently, so much later in my life. So it yeah. really is a great thing to teach to children. And it's just very rewarding to see how it, how it works you know, and how helpful it can be. Yeah, and it's a great way to connect too with them. Um, it's just a great way, um, just what Jen was saying, it's a great way to take that time um, and... And even if you're feeling overwhelmed, you know, by how the day has gone, um, you also get that time to partake with them. So, And I think that's something, too, that that really translates from the classroom or the community into the home as well. So let's talk about now um, what are some ways that parents can work on um, creativity, resilience and, you know, accepting that feedback um, with their children? What can we do at home? Yeah, I think what we were saying earlier, um, just circling back to the modeling aspect, children really do absorb what they see and what they hear. And even they can have a sense of your energy. Um, So if you're anxious, they can kind of sense that you're anxious or something is off. Um, So just finding ways that we can be more mindful and conscious of our own actions. And um, I think one of the greatest things too is to be confident in what we're saying, but also be humble and recognize um, and to be able to show a child, oh, well, you know, I actually, I didn't know all of this and I'm really sorry that I didn't. To be able to apologize to a child, I think is one of the greatest gifts we can do as adults um, to be able to show our uh, humility. And as far as the, the creativity aspect and the soft skills, just cultivating that space for creativity at home having different materials on hand or just having the time available for the kids to be creative and sort of sitting back and just watching and seeing what they choose to do, what they come up with and supporting it and giving positive feedback about whatever it is that they're creating. I was going to say, I wanted to recognize too, that it's really hard in this day and age to be able to take the time to do things, you know, through work or otherwise and for parents. So I think what Leanne is saying is, great because there are ways to cultivate that that you know it doesn't have to take an hour of your day it could take 30 minutes you know if you're just if you're just doing it a little bit here and there I always tell parents about think about like your connections with your children as a piggy bank and every time you make a connection you're making a deposit right um and then so when you do have to you know come down a little harder on a discipline you're making withdrawal now you have to keep depositing those. So I think it's great to remind parents too that it doesn't have to be an hour long activity or two hours. It can be 15 minutes, you know, and that is just, that's enough. It doesn't have to be this grand activity scheme. It's it's about finding those small moments that, that, that something fits into that you can make something work. You know, some of my son's favorite moments at home are when um, he says, you know, I want to make something. And I say, well, what do you want to make? And we, you know, we pull out all the random things that we can in our craft cupboard, you know, and and he just goes for it. So does it take a long time? Sometimes, but sometimes it's over in five minutes and he's created some kind of really cool looking plate monster. So just kind of rolling with it and just letting things, you know, take their course, I think is important too when you're, when you're looking at kids and just their ability to be creative and just to create. 
Yeah, I, I love that. And just to encourage and empower them, right? When we, when they want to do something, when they want to make something, when they find their interest, to encourage them and to empower them to explore even more. And if we're talking about things that we could do at home um, to cultivate creativity, you know, limit the screen time. I mean, that's part of today's world, right? And, and, and technology is a great thing. But going back to like carving out that time for play, that's so important and so necessary into a child's learning and development. So just at home, you know, setting goals and um, having limited screen time, setting, setting some rules and, and carving out time too to play as a family. I'm big on that, right? Reading together and playing together. Um, Cause we need fun too. And we learn from, you know, we learn from the kids just as much as they can learn from us. And it's just, um, in talking, uh, Sarah, like you said, about connecting, it's just a great way to connect and to be together and to play together and have fun. We all need a little bit more of that in our lives. I yeah, think it is kind of funny, and I'm not sure how much this relates, but when I was growing up, I kind of thought, you know, as an adult, you know, you just stop having fun. You know, everything gets too serious and you don't get to do the things you lose to do, which is partially true. Um, and I'm learning after having um, my first child. <laughs> um, but it doesn't mean I'm completely different as a person and it's okay to be able to find those things that I love um, and to share them with my son and, you know, my family. Yeah. Um, and something else I wanted to mention too that I didn't touch upon. Um, in Montessori, we have materials for the uh, children in the classroom um, and we, these activities, um, we typically call them their work. Um, and something that I really liked about that was that it was a way to combine work and play so that there wasn't, oh, I have to go do this because it's work. You know, it's actually fun and there's a way that I can make it fun. And that's something that I've also taken into my adulthood is instead of, you know, oh, I have to do all these dishes. Oh, how fast can I do these dishes? <laughs> you know, how quickly can I do something just to make it a game? And it's okay to make things a game, to make them more fun and to make life lighter. Yeah, I love that. We thank our panelists for participating in today's discussion and for sharing their insights on ways that we can continue guiding our children towards successful todays and tomorrows. Be sure to keep an eye out for the next installment of The Wonderful World of Work. I'm Jennifer Ford, and thank you for listening and learning with us today. To get more information and resources about this week's episode, you can visit www.wqed.org wqed.org slash edu.